It's the clash of the table toppers in the Premier League this weekend. OTB Sports Radio, the only place to hear live and exclusive radio commentary of Manchester City versus Liverpool on Sunday. Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball. Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie. It is Grand National Weekend. We will talk about that in detail a little bit later on. If you have anything that you want to get off your chest about the world of horse racing, then now's a good time. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream or, of course, if you're listening in the evening, you can text the show on 53106. That's the number. Uh, those texts will cost you 30 cents. Uh, Friday Night Racing and Off the Ball is brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie or you can follow the social media accounts at HRI Racing and the hashtag is Every Racing Moment. As ever, Johnny Ward is with us wearing his uh, retro throwback Ireland jersey. This is it, yeah, this is it. Great to have John McConnell on the show, a man in form. Um, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about today, Ger, hopefully. Yeah. Go, big, big uh, Gordon Elliott battalion in the Grand National tomorrow. Is it written in the stars one year on? We'll see. Uh, John, good afternoon to you. How are you? Afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. Um, Can I just mention to John before before he did great he had a great time of Leprechaun. I texted him the other day. He's, you've, you've, I fancy kind of fancy one of your horses here. And he said, geez, uh, yeah, but don't rule out the other horse and then a third horse came and beat both of them so <laughs> this is the man who knows uh, who knows how yeah, to strike thanks Johnny <laughs> the man in form well I was on a 22s Johnny so I don't know <laughs> well yeah I, I'll, I'll, I'll persevere with um, with Sweet November anyway I should get there yeah I should get there uh, so obviously you've got loads of horses in good form at the moment John yeah we've had a good run of it thank God um, the last couple of weeks so it's just about keeping it going now for the summer so you're a dual purpose trainer, which means that you never have a day off and you never get a rest. Uh, what, is, is there a strain of madness in that or is it just that that's the economics of it? You kind of have to be. Um, bit of both, yeah. Um, I do envy the guys who take Dundalk off for the winter and come back in for the turf um, meetings. But uh, I, I like being busy anyway, but uh, definitely have to be a touch a touch insane to do this job anyway. So you were a vet as well. That That's even more insane. Is that like you could have just been a nice, steady, handy vet on the fringes of the racing industry and you're like, no, I've got to train. Yeah, I always um, always had ambitions. To, I was always going to be too heavy to be a jockey. Um, so the next best thing was to, to train horses. And um, Michael O'Brien was training right uh, beside us at home and I would have ridden out for him and... Uh, they were during the days of um, Van Tom and the Irish National and Shawia winning the Triumph Hurdle. So um, they were big days and kind of got me hooked then. What have you racing background, John? Actually, uh, not really, Johnny. Um, we would have bred to a kind of a small um, degree at home at some flat mares, but only like three or four. Um, my dad worked, you know, a job as well. So, and we would have grown up riding ponies and stuff, but not, uh, you wouldn't say I'm, I, I would consider myself an outsider in the game. You would consider yourself an outsider? Yeah. Is that yeah, a good I or a bad thing? Like, well, I like it. Um, I, it just, I think it makes me stand out a little bit. And um, um, a lot of my friends will be outside of racing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's probably different because a lot of, I feel, you know, there's a lot of people inside the game that are just purely, uh, don't don't know there's an outside world where um, I worked as a vet and stuff like that. So it's um, yeah, I, I like being kind of like that. It's very true, and um, we'll talk about your son Killian and his kind of career maybe outside the race, which I think makes makes it more of an outlier of the family as well. I I do remember Gay Kelly saying like 
if you go for drinks with racing people and they can't talk about anything other than racing when they're having a drink with you, like there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah, and I'd be the kind of opposite. I prefer not to talk about racing when when I'm like relaxing or socializing, you know. So um, I live and breathe. I love it. Like I live and breathe it. But when I when I have downtime, um, the last thing I want to do is talk about my job, you know. That, I, look, it's really interesting, and and even considering yourself an outsider, do you think that it has an impact on how you train? That like you haven't, you know, you, you didn't grow up on your own gallops or your dad's gallops or your grandfather's gallops that actually you've you've come with a different viewpoint and a, a, a different approach to how you get your horses fit and peak. Uh, pro- probably, yeah. Um, I would have, I'd probably come with a more theoretical um, approach. You know, I would have learned a lot about fitness and, and physiology and stuff in college. So, um I would have based a lot of it on that more than what I would have seen. Um, obviously, I you know Michael O'Brien was a great trainer, and I would have learned from him as well. But um, you know, we 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 basically interval train, so you know that would have been developed. It, it took a while for me to to um, you know kind of get to where I wanted to be. But I'm happy with what we do now. I think people are surprised when they come in and watch us what we do. That how can the horses be fit? But they are, you know. Will you just explain interval training for us then? Well, well, we do short, sharp bits of work. Um, even with like three mile horses, um, they would only ever do maybe four or five furlongs at a time, and they'd stop. Um, it would be intense work, you know. And then uh, they they're only allowed partially recover before they do the next um, kind of session. So it just builds up um, stamina and um, you know aerobic fitness. You know, what what percentage of trainers would train like that? Um, listen. There is some people that are doing it um, for sure, and then there's kind of more old school people that are doing, um, you know, the long steady work. And it's, I don't know if mine's any better than anybody else's, but it's it uh, it suits the way our gallop is, and um, the riders know how to how to do it, and um, so it suits me. Um, but they're definitely, I mean, listen, Martin Pipe would have started way back in the '80s or whatever, you know. Um, so he had a very short gallop and he, um, you know, that's the way he did it. So yeah, it works anyway. And like, is, is, is that, what's that based on? Getting, like getting their heart rate up, uh, break, getting their heart, heart rate up. Yeah, oxygen intake. And then when they're doing their second and third kind of revolutions or whatever, they're doing it um, sort of partially recovered. So you're not giving them time to completely for the heart rate to come down or the respirate to come down. And so they're, they're adapting all the time to, working under strain without doing a lot of mileage if you know what I mean continuously you know? how, how how do you know who's like I mean we, we, we'll, we'll speak about the three horses you ran in the handicap at Leverstown but how do you know when the horse oh yeah he's, re- he's ready then um, I know I, I know just myself from you know how they're taking it um, at home um, like those mile horses Johnny they, they would only be they'd only do two two maybe four and a half furlong blasts a day or whatever you know um but you know you know from when they come off the gallop how hard they're blowing and how how, how much sweat they're they have and stuff like that uh, like we we do bring them away to do like fast bits of work uh, as well like oh, you know over you know seven or a mile as well um but we wouldn't need to we could get them fit at home so so the four and a half hour long blast is that is that like flat out or is it kind of 90 percent or what is it i'd say it's probably 90 percent. it's on it's on the bridle but i tell the riders not to pull out of them it also makes the riding of the horse easier because they're not pulling out of them. There's no, um, you know, there's no, no problem controlling the horses, I suppose, because they're letting them 
bowl along at their own pace. You know, they never they wouldn't push them, but they let them, you know, pretty much go uh, as fast as they wanted within control. You know, I know this stuff intrigues you because there's so many different methods. Totally oh, yeah. different methods. Like. Yeah, and and also just the the fact of where this comes from. Like, um, it's funny too. You're talking about being theoretical, but at the same time knowing when they're ready is based on look and feel and the the sweat well, I mean, like, you probably could scientifically uh, know that as well i just haven't got into that yeah um, but it's interesting that but, like even with your scientific background and your training you still are are ultimately it's art as opposed to that final bit of it is still unknowable yeah and i mean i'd be very much um I don't. I have. I, I don't scope very often uh, horses uh, unless I think there's a problem or unless it's a particularly important kind of race. I, I like to because I, I know it's an invasive thing, and I like you know if, I'm, if I'm happy with the horse, I'm happy with the horse. And then of course things like scopes and bloods and all these things, they're 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 not black and white. They're grey. You know, you can have a horse scope kind of mediocre. He could still win the race. You know, um, or a horse with a with a kind of blood they are a bit dubious about could still win the race not every horse that wins every race is 100 percent uh at that time it could mm. you know a horse can win a race that's 70 percent if it's good enough you know C- can you take us back right so you're a kid growing up right beside you somebody it's essentially a, a theater of dreams and uh when when is the decision in your head that becoming a vet is actually going to help you to become a trainer or is it automatic like while you're becoming a vet you're actually also trying to become a trainer too it's just that you you realize that it's it's beneficial to you um well my parents would have been very education minded like there was no way i was going to get away with not going to college so um my brother who's like nine years older than me he had gone into veterinary so i suppose from from sixth class on i he was in veterinary college so it was always something that was a you know there and um you know in general i love animals and um and i wanted to do it but then i suppose Michael O'Brien, working for Michael O'Brien, um, really kind of focused me on maybe going into training. So I suppose. And is that weekends uh, and summers? You're even summers. Weekends and summers, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose when I got into college, I I was always had an eye on training. Um, it was just what way I was going to get into it. It's not um, a handy course, all the same. Is it? Is it five years and a bit of it's, extra? It's five years, and I always used to say to people, it's hard to get into it, but it's even harder to get out of it. It, it didn't get any easier in the course. Um, it's a tough course, you know. So, um, can you talk about that, John? I'd say, like, I mean, do you ever get to the bottom? Do you ever get? Do you ever know everything? Or, I mean, it must be seriously difficult. No, no, it is difficult. I mean, it's time. Sometimes I. Not so much now, but back when I qualified, I wondered how I qualified, um, how they let me out. But um, it's um, there's an awful lot of knowledge there, and I mean, listen, you learn most of it when you get out. Um, mm. If you can get into a good a good practice that you have a good mentor, which I did, um, they they help you a lot. And it's not all about how how clever you are, the, the theory of it. a lot of a lot of it's practical as well. I suppose that's why. I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm practical as way well in the way I train, you know. I I, I know I heard you, you speaking to Racing TV about um, Killian, how he he he's probably gonna. We can talk about this in a bit, but he's probably gonna be kind of driven by making money in life and doing well for himself. But like when you're marrying um, or comparing being a vet to being a horse racing trainer, part of that has to be well, I just want to, I, I just want that buzz of training a winner or that buzz because I mean, in terms of the pragmatism of training versus veterinary, I mean, it's it's basically fairly open and shut case. Yeah, well, I mean, there are some vets that are that are trainers, but most of them had 
backgrounds in racing or fathers who were vets, etc. You know, um, a couple of very famous ones, right? Mm. Like some of yeah, the- I mean, Dermot Well, John Ox, yeah, to name two anyway. But um, Killian's of the kind of polar opposite to me. I, I I'd probably live in a cardboard box uh, once I could train horses. You know, m- money isn't a, a, ma- a motivating factor for me in it. You know, um, I just always felt that I wanted to do it and that I, I could I could do it. So um, that's what motivated me to do to to take the leap and and do it do it full time. You know, we skipped a, a generation there. So you finished college, and how soon after that are you able to get your trainer's license? What was the in in between period? I got a restricted license, like a permit license, pretty pretty much straight away. Um, but like I had one horse, I was only kind of messing around. I was working as a vet, and um, uh, it was only probably six or seven years after that. I I was based in Monaghan at the time because Killian Killian um, his mum was from Monaghan, and we were up there. And um, I kind of got a couple of people together to put in a horse, and. Um, he, he ended up winning a graded race in Fairy House. Um, oh, this is when I had three horses or whatever. Wow. So it got, uh, a horse called Sophist. Um, it was the time of Linnaeus, um, Johnny. You remember the Yeah, Owen Griffin. Griffin, yeah. Yeah, he 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 was second to Linnaeus in the Maiden Hurdle and then two weeks later won the grade three in Fairy House at that December meeting. Um, he's got a horse called Sophist. Um, and we bought him out of German as for for seven, 7,000 or 7,500, I think. He but, had a um, crack straight away pretty much. Well, I wouldn't say that. I probably fluked that one, but um, <laughs> it you know it got more interest, and it it got to the point then where I had to either do it properly or or you know not do it. Um, so I took the plunge. And so, hang on, are you interval training at that point from the get go? Is that something you had decided? Like- not, not in not in Monaghan because the gallop I had put in was so small. I mean, M- Monaghan. Whoever designed Monaghan didn't design it for training uh, race horses, especially where I was. It was little drumlins everywhere, so the gallop was pretty, pretty small, and you couldn't, you know, I, I wasn't doing it probably the way I wanted to do it, but um, it was it was a starting point anyway. So when does the interval training come into your head that actually okay, or, or what is the I discovery? For, for a couple of years, I moved to to the Curra. Um, I probably moved just as recession the whole thing collapsed, which um, isn't great when you're paying three and a half thousand a month rent on your stables. Um, so we we kind of struggled on there for a couple of years. And then I got an offer to move to where I am now, which is near Bedlistan Racecourse. Um, and I've been there for the last nine or 10 years. Um, and it was probably only up here that I really, it's very hard to, with the Curra gallops, you know, you're, you've people coming on and off the whole time and, they're great gallops, but they're not your own. You don't get to kind of, you know, do whatever you want on them. So I, uh, where I am now, I can. So that's probably where I've improved it a little bit, I suppose. I think if if you had like a Drive for Survive series in racing and say if TG Carr had to do it, TG Carr would have a limited budget. So they decide that there's only so much we can do here. So they'd probably base themselves at the Curra and they could have like I, I think it'd be an amazing series because there's so many personalities there John but I guess there are pros and cons to it oh yeah I mean I couldn't have moved at a worse time really in terms of financially um, and then I mean the facilities are brilliant but it's a very lonely place um, when you're not doing well um, and mm. you're meeting some of the guys I, you're meeting people every day and they've had winners and you have to go oh, well done and you're like uh, sick inside <laughs> you know? uh, at least you said so, it anyway yeah it's a tough place and then it's 
but like all these training centers, everybody knows everybody's business as well. So I'm much happier being away from from it and have my own my own place, you know. Because it's funny, like the the trainers in the states that train from the racetrack. That's it's not normal in a lot of countries that you train. And what how how feasible or how easy was it for you to get your place near to Stamullen then? Well, it, it, it was a family that owned it, and um, I'd come across them kind of by chance. We I put an ad in the Irish Field looking for a yard, and um, they had contacted me. It wasn't available at the time. There was somebody in it, and they were trying to get them out of it, etc. And um, <laughs> I ended up going to the Curra, but there we always kept in touch. So um, I got a I got an offer, Mark, who's who's kind of the the business brain of the operation. He he asked me to come up and give it a go, and um, you know we we struggled for a long time. We you know um, probably had a lot of moderate horses, did you? Moderate horses, and um, you know just yeah. I mean, again, being the outsider point, you know, I had no 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 backing um really you know so it was um it was just trying to get going and um thankfully we've done well in the last three or four years but i'm very much i never get too high about the successes because um i know where i started from you know and you, 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 so what changed then is it just a gradual gradual thing where you, you get to know people because a lot of training is, is networking as well i suppose yeah, we just gradually the, the results improved. Um, we got a good um, owner from America. Um, he well, he's Irish American, um, Derek Kearns, and he's put a lot of money into into my yard, and that made the horses. You know, I got a better quality of horse, better results, and um, you know, it's the results based game um, at the end of the day. So that that's really helped us grow, I suppose. And the fact that you do train both jumps and flat, uh, I guess, helps when it comes to just giving yourself more opportunity to find good horses or to find horses where you might be able to get value. But it does mean you're always busy. Is there any part of you that would prefer to go in the direction full-time flat or are you actually wedded to the lifestyle so much and you love it so much that it, it suits you and your personality? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um if I was to specialize in, in either code, I'd have to be very, very secure in in myself that, you know, I I could do it in terms, you know, financially. And I, I, the one thing about this game is uh, there's no, you know, there's little or no security in it in terms of if you have a bad year, you know, you can have your numbers very quickly. Um, so uh, I'd have to be very secure that way if I was going to. But I love I love both. People ask me all the time, which do you prefer? I love both. Um cold you know i love i love jumping um there's nothing better than being down at a fence and hear the horses come towards it and flick over the birch you know or or, or there's nothing better than watching a two-year-old work for the first time and going oh wow you know i like, like that you know so how often um, does that happens very little uh <laughs> actually but um it has happened a couple of times but in case um, of you yeah yeah i mean the first time he worked um well nearly every time he works to be honest um we went, you know, and I, I suppose it was. I was more fluttery because we owned them, so uh, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was very special. How um, how do you feel about that whole story? Now, that's one thing that often uh, I do wonder about when a horse leaves the yard, and you know, it, yeah. uh, in your case, I mean. If 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 a horse leaves the yard in kind of slightly dodgy circumstances, goes on and improves forty pounds, there's no trainer that that wants that. Simple as. But obviously, with this was a bit different. Can you just explain what happened there? Yeah, um, I picked him up as a yearling, um, very reasonably priced uh, yearling. Um, he was a, he was a very good looking horse, but he was by the wrong sire. Nobody wanted to 
desire and um uh he didn't sell at the at the golf sales and i rang up tara stud the next uh evening and said i they still got him so i went and looked at him and bought him um why and uh, mm? why why did you why? Why? He, he was physically a, a gorgeous horse um very you know very pretty correct horse had a lot of presence walked well um and you know I didn't have the money to have both pedigree and confirmation, so I had to pick one or the other. You know, I just liked him, and I thought he was worth a a, a, a punt. And I mean, if he had been third in the maiden and we got forty or fifty thousand for him, we would have been delighted. You know, so um, from the very minute he started working, and we knew he was good, and um, uh, I managed to get him beat first time out. But then he won a maiden very well, and then won a group three at the Anglesey Stakes for me. And um, he just started off in Belly Sounds, the tip in the tilt. He, he won it down right. I'm going to blame Shane Foley and Colin Keane for this because they both told me he was a miler. Um, <laughs> so um, we started him over like seven and a half in Belly Sound on soft ground, and he led over the road and just got very tired. He'd been keen during the race too, so. Um, he he then went to one by four lengths in in um, Dan Royal and then he won. We dropped him back again in trip and he won the Anglesey Stakes and I mean that was a dream come true because um, you know obviously he was worth quite a, a bit of money and um, it was great. So I mentioned my friend Adam Potts, the runner at Dundalk, first time out last um, Friday. Ra- yeah. Runs a blinder in second or whatever and like that's what's that when you own the horse um, then like what 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 was your thought process because obviously you, you know you are looking at the dollar signs as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've said I'm not money motivated, but, um, you know, I I had never really, uh, you know, gotten anything out of the sport at all financially. Um, I was enjoying it, but I never, you know, I'd never, I didn't own a house or anything like that, you know. So uh, for the horse to go and win a, gr- a group three and put the price tag he had on him, it was it was unbelievable, you know, and uh I I'm probably more happy for my my folks that that, that were relieved that I had you know going to have some security rather than for me you know because I said once I had a cardboard box I'm happy you know I'd say they were sending you off to college in veterinary school clicking their heels going that's great he said for life and then you're like yeah, actually I'm going to be a trainer it's like oh, oh my god yeah and especially <laughs> oh, especially my mum she would have been um, security 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 so she probably uh, took her a long time to kind of accept that I'm at this now permanently you know but like so after winning the Anglesey do you still like it's 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 impossible to value a horse really because like there's so much yeah. that can go wrong and obviously um so much has gone right but I mean you, you couldn't necessarily predict he'd be winning two group ones either so what's your thought process then at the end of his two-year-old campaign well we were always going to sell because that was the you know that's what we had planned um and you know we got off on an awful lot of money and uh did a deal to go to america and he failed the vet on x-rays um of his knees very very minor blemish on both knees but but the american vets failed him so then hong kong made a similar offer and he failed the vet in hong kong as well the same oh knees my God. And the, the annoying thing was i turned to the vet who took the x-rays and i said well what do i do with his knees they hit never been lame or anything and he said don't do anything sure there's nothing wrong with him um so you know that was quite frustrating and you know um when he won the other day i sent Ado a text saying you know fair play and you know he was the guy that took the gamble he knew all about that and took the gamble got the money together took the gamble on the horse you know so we still got listen we still got very well paid but um 
it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the money we were going to be getting, but we were delighted. Because of the again. failed failed veterinary test. Because of the failed wow. veterinary, yeah. And I, I suppose we're standing there, it was our first time in that situation, and we're kind of thinking, well, is he going to train on? Will he, will the knees hold up? So we sort of took the money and, and we were delighted. And um, like, we, my feelings when he crossed the line in Dubai, uh, you know, I was delighted, delighted for the horse and, and the connections. Like I was more gutted because I knew that the question "Are you gutted about it?" was going to be asked about fifty times uh, afterwards. <laughs> How do you feel uh, about but, it anyway? Are you gutted? Yeah, yeah. But like for me, I'm not. As I said, I keep saying I'm not money motivated. It didn't. It didn't bother me. Um, uh, I suppose he's only ten miles down the road. Um, he's one of the good guys. Sight, as well, so like... Probably Greg Dolphin had him uh, yeah. far away. But you know, listen, Ada was there, and he took the. He took the plunge, and you know you have to respect that. So we, uh, we we've I had him. That the first one I picked up a, a dual group one winner for you know pittance. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I was going to say because we we've had Ado on a good bit over the years. And we've kind of seen um, the situation where he didn't have great owners, and now he has really good owners. And and he actually said basically he went around the world trying to recruit new owners and put himself out there and, and do that part of the gig. And you can kind of see the evolution and the, and the benefit of that and the quality of horse that he's got and the ability to find people to take the risk and yeah. um, and the opportunity to it. But it does seem like it's an evolution and that actually, you know, unless you unless you inherit a great yard, that's the, the business is taking risks. But the best part about this story is that you did take a risk on something that doesn't have a great pedigree. And so that must give you confidence the next time you're buying is like, I'm going to take, I'm going to either get the pedigree or I'm going to get the confirmation and you're going to have the confidence of the success and the track record of the success now to buoy you up. Yeah, I mean, he was probably a once in a lifetime horse, you know, but at the same time, it showed it can be done. So, um, you know, it, it's really important to have those kind of um, fairy tale stories because, you know, it, let, it lets the small person uh, dream. You know, Milton Harris had a winner yesterday, it cost 14,000, won the grade one in entry. And, uh, that's you know that's really important that that can happen and you know you can buy a horse cheap that that might that might might turn out to be very special so um, no it was a brilliant story I, like I've I've no regrets whatsoever even though no, nobody believes me but um, <laughs> well, I do yeah. actually it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's, no, it's, no you know I'm delighted for the horse I love the horse um, you know I went up to Edo and the dog after I shook his hand and um, I was I was you know I'm I, I hope he goes to be a stallion in Ireland so I can send a mare to him you know. It's it's uh, to me it's kind of similar to whoever picked up Roy Keane when he was playing for Rockmount slash Cove Ramblers. Not very tall. Um, it's hard to say the League of Ireland had a pedigree of producing players, but somebody saw something they liked. Look what they produced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I always loved him um, from the minute we got him. You know, um, and then he just kept on improving. Um, and yeah, I mean, we could have we could have sold him after Bellystown when he was third. We got offered quite good money, you know, mm. good money. Um, mm. wasn't quite six figures, but near six figures, and we turned it down. And uh, we probably could have sold him after Dan Royal as well, and we didn't. So you know, we we held out and went for it to, to try and get the black type, um, and it worked. You know, so it was that was brilliant. And you know, I might the only thing I might change is if I got another one, I might not sell him. So. Um, that's the only thing I'm, I, I might be doing. Tinley Vale, I kind of have regrets, but no, I have no regrets at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, listen, I'd love to win Jill Group ones. Um, yeah. Obviously, but in that instance, finances came first, but um, I don't think it is. Well, you're having again. a brilliant time with Tins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we're doing well, you know. Um, 
and hopefully we can keep it keep it going. But uh, as I said, I never get too above myself because uh, I know what's around the corner. You know, if you have a bad six months. My Racing Moment is brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Share every racing moment. Visit hri.ie or follow Horse Racing Ireland on social media. Talk to us about Air then and the Scottish Champion Hurdle. Was that always a target? Was that something you kind of, a couple of months back, were like plotting a course and going, Scotland, Air, that's the perfect race for this one? Well, she was second in the last year. So probably from last year, um, it was the target. But she got quite a nasty injury in it last year. She got a piece of birch that went through her tendon just below her fetlock. And... She ended up in the veterinary hospital at home um, straight away at the minute she got off the boat with uh, quite a severe infection in it. And um, it took her it took her a long time to get over that and, and a long time to get her back. But um, uh, her last run before air had shown glimmers of, of her old self. And um, she the handicapper had let us kind of down a few pounds probably you know reflection her her she had that she hadn't returned to proper form but we knew that she was getting there and she did a super bit of work the week before it so um we were going there hopeful but um you know you never dreamed that you're going to win it what's a bit of work for Anna Vanina then um we have a hill gallop as well as a, a round gallop and uh, the hill gallop is it's just it's kind of like interval work again Johnny they they go up it twice they go up it uh, kind of three quarter pace the first time and then they trot straight back down and straight back up again quicker, you know, and uh, it sorts them out um, now at the top the second time and um, she went with a very good uh, bumper horse that we have and and, and laughed at him. So wow. we kind of knew that, yeah, we knew that she was well. But I mean, it's listen, it's all very well done on a sand gallop uh, in Hill and County Mead, you know, it's different going to uh, grade two in air and, and winning. So that uh, was brilliant. And what happens now for, for her for the rest of the season? Um, we might go for the Swinton Hurdle in, in Haydock. It's a flat track race, left-handed, that she would like a valuable pot again. Um, I would, people have mentioned the Galway Hurdle. I mean, it is a very, very big pot to go for. Um, but it's a totally different type of race, right-handed, undulating, easy fix hurdles. So it's something to think about. I mean, my I would love to go back and win the Scottish Champion next year. Um, so... That's what I'll, where I'll be going, uh, essentially. And uh, if she could do that, I'd be. I'd say she'd be becoming a mummy after that. Okay, I, I, and so a horse that wins the Scottish Champion Hurdle, you don't, you haven't even mentioned Cheltenham there as part of her plan. And obviously, it, it was Scotland last year too. So, what's the difference between a horse like that and other Cheltenham horses? Is it just difference in quality of the field, and how do you separate those out? I mean, she she the Scottish champion is a handicap, so it's not like the, the champion hurdle. But she ran in the county hurdle in Cheltenham last year, ran really really well. Um, a bit unlucky in the race, and we could have gone for the county this year, but I didn't want to compromise air. Air was coming quite quick after Cheltenham, so I wanted to go to air um, and try and win that. You know, so I, I'd probably since it's worked this year, I'll probably stick to the same routine if we get back there next year and, and skip. Chetlam. Chetlam is very, very hard. You know, the race should be running would have 20 runners in it and um, it's helter-skelter and, and it's just, uh, it leaves marks on horses. You'll see a lot of Chetlam horses get beaten probably in entry this week, you know. So, um, I, you know, if you've got a good pot and air to go for, I, I'm going to focus on that. Fair enough. And uh, obviously the Easter Festival at, at Fairy House is coming up and Punchestown as well. You obviously have loads uh, in the mix for both of those. Is there anything specific that we should be watching out for? Any more 22 to 1 shots? Um, 
I, the horse I'm looking forward to the most would be Bardenstown Lad. Um, he goes to Punchestown for the three mile grade one novice hurdle. Um, he was third in the Albert Bartlett and Cheltenham, absolutely flying up the hill. So, um, we'd like to take on Mr. Nice Guy again, um, and, and have a crack at him in Punchestown. And he's really one to look forward to for chasing next year. He should be a better chaser. So, he's yeah, he. I can't wait to have him out again, and um, he'd be my main one. I, uh, I, I would only have like, I wouldn't have a lot of top class horses yet. Um, but so I don't like to go to these big meetings unless I think we're going to be competitive. But, right. Uh, we're not, we, we don't just go just to for the day out, you know. So um, if we think we have a chance, we'll go. But uh, I wouldn't target a load of horses at it unless I thought it was going to be very competitive, you know. There was just one last aspect of, of everything that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, Johnny did a piece recently with uh, young jockeys and apprentices and, and was talking with Siobhan Rutledge and uh, she talked about the relationship where you, you've kind of helped her to get to the level she's at at the moment. Is being an outsider in racing, is that kind of a fundamental aspect of, of how you're going to pay things forward as well, where you're going to make sure that you're helping people to get into the sport and people who are young to the sport to actually to thrive in it? Yeah, I'd like to. I mean, I, lo- I love um, taking on new people and, and getting them going. I I think my father said to me the other day, I think we've given seven or eight jockeys their first winner, um, um, which isn't bad for a smallish yard, you know. Um, and, I mean, they listen, it, it's all on them. They have to do the work and put in the, the time and the effort. But um, if they're good enough and, and they do that, they'll get a chance with me. So I love, you know, I love um, bringing them along. I mean, the average age of our staff will be very young but I like it that way um, there's no agendas and no everybody knows well I don't even need to be there to be honest I could I could sit at home and, and watch watch telly all day and, and they'd probably run it without me you know um, but uh, I do like that aspect of bringing on, on the young people they know how to celebrate a winner by all accounts as well yeah well you'd know you'd know about that yeah. uh, Johnny um, <laughs> yeah, it was nice uh, to get that winner on student day for the the, the man who owned, owned the company keeping so I think he celebrated long into the night students will be students and all that yeah exactly yeah I think Killian Killian was uh, well behaved and came home at a reasonable time so uh, we'll it leave was. it at that 10,000 yeah. students at Leopardstown <laughs> on a random Wednesday seems oh, pretty good Limerick yesterday I'm getting old because Limerick sounded Limerick, like my Limerick idea. was even worse worse oh or better oh my god it sounded like it was just like it was like being the bang in the middle of a nightclub smoking area um, with 50,000 yeah. people there but um, <laughs> yeah we were all young once yeah <clears throat> <laughs> there we go. Old man shakes fist at cloud, Johnny Morris. Like, no, Grandpa Simpson. Well, well, John, John, I mean, what age were you when Killian was born, John? Uh, Killian was a college baby, so yeah. I was like 23. Um, and uh, I mean, he probably defined my path in, in training as well because um, I, I, I stuck around in Ireland. I may well have, I may, I may very well have gone to the UK as an assistant or something if, if things uh, were different. But um, I suppose I'm glad he came around now and, uh, uh, things have worked out and do, lovely yeah so he's obviously a jockey as well and um, is is he going to stay a jockey do you think is that is that in his future well his, his weight's very good like he's 21 now so he's not going to get any heavier and his weight is very good um, he's doing actuarial finance in DCU so he's he, you know he's a smart kid as well um, he'll keep doing that obviously but he can get he can have a good he's finished his lectures now he can have a good um rattle at it this summer and hopefully get get, get a f- some outside rides. I mean, I'll leave it up to him. He's pretty mature. So um, I'd be supportive. Uh, I do kind of want him to be an extra because it means I'll have a good owner for the next 40 <laughs> years. So, yeah. uh, 
we all, we all need we all need that uh, new owner investing you know of course and how good is Siobhan Rodridge going to be yeah she's very good um, I, um, she got she was unlucky there in the last later part of the spring she she got a ban in Dundalk that put her out for a good few meetings but she's going to get going now again once the, the turf has started and uh, you know she's got a good very good brain and a um, you know really hard worker so uh, she's improved so much since we started uh, with her, you know, So, um, and she's going to continue to. So, yeah, I, I really think she can go all the way. All right. You've got three this weekend, I think, tonight in Dundalk, Sir Dottie tomorrow, sorry, Sunday, Tremor, um, Tango Theatre and No Logic uh, and then No Patience on Sunday in the car. Yeah, I would not be putting your mortgages on any of these horses. Um, the, two, the two in Tremor and the Chase, they, they're... Uh, they'll, they'll need the experience of the chase if they haven't much experience um, Sir Dotty could run well tonight but he's he's still a maiden and uh, he seems to like to come third or fourth and just stay in that position so um, he, he's ridden by another one of my apprentices Kiana um, she's um, not long with me so it'd be great for her to get a win as well but um, he's uh, he's a hard horse to win with but yeah I haven't got very much this this to get too excited about this this week again I'll sit back and watch the Grand National tomorrow alright well enjoy it John great to have you with us it's a brilliant story thanks a million for sharing thanks, it with John. us well, thanks for having me that's uh, John McConnell our guest on Friday Night Racing this evening and a reminder My Racing Moment is brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland share every racing moment visit hri.ie or follow Horse Racing Ireland on social media we'll take a quick break back after this Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball and Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie. Uh, it's tough at the top. Uh, Danny Mullins has gained some ground on Johnny Ward, it says here on my script. Thanks to Clan des Oboe, as the tote tend to follow, jumps to its conclusion this Saturday at Aintree. The gap is down to 64 points, and with names like John Bond, Edward Stone and Flooring Porter all set to race, it's not over yet. So Johnny's on 644. Oh, well. Danny Mullins is on 580. John Bond won today, I think. And I'm on my league could be, um, 388. All oh, right. Mm. Um, well, I would not be there. You'd be Devin locking it at this point, having been basically home much, and holes from the start. much, yeah. Uh, um, faded close home John yeah John Bond won today Danny's Danny's a good judge big tote. big ride on uh, Florin Border tomorrow as well Totes are rolling out the tote guarantee at Irish race courses meaning tote customers are guaranteed SP or better on all win bets placed at the races tote guarantee will be available to race goers this weekend at the Curra and Tremor to find out more just ask a member of the tote staff I might yet break into that top 23,000 which would be one of the, <laughs> one of the great achievements <laughs> The National and the rest of Aintree. So, sorry, Flooring Porter, interesting in the context of the conversation we've just been having there that some horses do find that mm. Cheltenham takes it out of them. John McConnell was saying that. I, I don't like Aintree as a punt and meeting for that reason. I, I, I've i just had so many bad experiences of horses just flopping and nobody, everyone talks about, oh, he won the Gold Cup, but people then forget he absolutely bombed at Aintree. So I, it's not a meeting I'm massively... Certainly not. If if a horse ran at Cheltenham in general, I'd be a bit wary. John Bond did win today, but Florin Porter, the, the two issues were he would have been trained for Cheltenham and uh, he probably will get taken on for the lead tomorrow. Um, but he's a brilliant jumper. He, Danny gets on so well with him. Um, whether you want to be backing him at 7-4 to four or not, probably not for me. Right, but you think he's going to win? No, I mean, I, I just... It, it could go either way. Like, I mean, Gavin Cromwell um, is a very good trainer, but he wouldn't have trained him for injury. He would have trained him for Cheltenham. And this is... Bonus territory. Bonus yeah. territory, yeah. And, like, to win two stairs hurdles is fantastic, particularly to win it, as you saw, Ger, with all the um, 
people in the in the winner's enclosure that weren't there last year. That was a great day. That's what racing is all about. As, as John says, you know, a case of you was bought for buttons. Florin Porter was bought off a Facebook ad for, I don't know, a few grand. They're the stories you want. And it's at Cheltenham. Aintree's, it's like, Aintree's, some people prefer it to Cheltenham. I haven't been to Aintree. It's not really on my bucket list. Um, I, I, I think Cheltenham for me is 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 definitely the creme de la creme. Um, but, you know, he might win. It's just... You know, if he if he disappointed, it wouldn't be amazing either. He did disappoint a points down last year. Okay, talk to me a bit about the Grand National. Then, what do you make of this? You were you were hinting there that um, Gordon Elliott, it's in the stars that he might win it. I kind of think it. Like I, I'm tipping up Longhouse Poet Martin Brassel, who won the race. Um, I think he won it in 2006, I think, and then with number six Valverde, and then Gordon won it the following year with Silver Birch. So he won the Grand National even though he hadn't trained a winner in Ireland. So I was just saying to him during the week, I mean, you must have been at Aintree and like almost hardly anyone even knew, knew you. And he ended up winning the National with Silver Birch. Obviously won it twice since with Tiger Roll. I think it's absolutely absurd that Tiger Roll isn't running the race. It's one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen in racing. Um, and even on the line through Delta Work, who's favourite, it's bonkers. I don't, I don't buy the... I don't buy the stuff with the handicapper at all. Um, I think Michael O'Leary um, threw his toys out of the pram. I think it. it was nonsense. Like I really do, and uh, you know, um, I've a great time for what Michael has achieved in racing and in business. But um, sometimes someone needs to tap you on the shoulder stuff. and say no. Yeah. Well, also it, the handicapper. I mean, the handicapper wasn't going to drop him fifty pounds on the basis of him running in wrong races. Um, so the handicapper had didn't have an, an agenda. And Tiger Roll was in the cusp of history and winning three Grand Nationals, um, potentially. And obviously, Delta Work is now favourite. There's nothing really between them on Cheltenham form. Yet Tiger Roll, for some spurious welfare reason, <sighs> not having it at all. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But Delta Work might be the substitute to, to do that. Okay, so what you're not tipping uh, Gordon Elliott horse. You've no. tipped another horse, but, you're, you're, but uh, like, your confidence is low with the t- when it comes to the tipping. You're like, oh, oh, there's something written in the stars that's a gimme. You it sound just, like... You it, sound like uh, it, it just feels like... A Michael l- O'Leary and the handicapper. Rachel, <laughs> Rachel Blackmore last year, I think, you know, racing um, really was helped by Malala Times. Rachel Blackmore... Um, winning in the JP Colours at Aintree, you know, creating history in the Grand National, great stuff all over the papers. The Gordon Elliott narrative is completely different. This time last year, he was banned. He was vilified, in my view, over the top vilification. Even though we probably all got involved in the at the time in terms of you know the the hysteria of of that time and the the horse or whatever that's um, the photograph and so on and so forth. But he served his time. He's come back. He did very unlucky Cheltenham two winners but a lot of seconds a lot of seconds and lost Ginto um, like horribly in, in, in an injury to an injury uh, when he was probably going to win he's seven runners tomorrow including Sam Crow I mean if Sam Crow were to come back he was the great white hope and win the national um, he, Sam Crow's not winning the national is it? He wasn't putting you off backing him. He said his jumping was unbelievable when he schooled him. He's a smile in his face. If horses can smile, I'm not sure if they can, but he did proverbial, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to imagine a horse smiling, but he, he had a, you know, a proverbial a smile in his face. And um, he also likes a couple of other horses. I mean, Delta Work is probably the one, but he's seven runners, so he's got a good chance. And I just think... You know, Gordon Elliott goes into the, Gordon like I've seen trainers win the Grand National. When Mouse Morris won the Grand National, also for Jiggenstown, and he's 
his son hadn't passed away that long at that time and the motion of that Mouse win the Grand National with a horse who hadn't even won a race over fences David Mullins riding him who's now retired I mean the, the motion got the better of him you see trainers shed tears if they win a National 100% Gordon Elliott will break down if he wins the National tomorrow I mean that man has been through um, first world hell and uh, I wouldn't I, I for one you know I think a lot of people would be moved by it as well but who knows okay so sorry to go back to what you're tipping what are you Longhouse, tipping? Sorry, but but by the way, Longhouse Poet is going to... Longhouse Poet for... I thought Brian Sheeran put it really nice in the race post during the week news on about Martin Brassel. He said, um, he quoted him and he said, in a voice that could say mass, and that's exactly what Martin Brassel sounds like. Very, very quiet man. Brilliant uh, trainer, brilliant target trainer. And Longhouse Poet for me is feasibly to I don't think I've ever backed a winner of the National so just ignore what I say Okay long as put around about 14 16 to 1 yeah and, and chop around in terms of your I think you can get 7 places each way I mean it's it's 40 runners so like yeah I mean if you're if you're getting involved in the Masters you, you look for your each way value and same in the National uh, any second now is the shortest price as things stand. Is that yeah, right? He, he, yeah, you'd be well, he, him or Delta work. work. Yeah. Any second now was was um, unlucky in the race last year. Ran really well. The the extra weight is a, is is very very harsh for me for him to deal with. Even though it is what it is, but he definitely has a chance. Ted Walsh knows how to win it as well. Okay. Anything else from this? Then? Any other the other narratives that you know? Um, when the back page is the picture of the smiling horse that um, yeah we should have expected this because. Well, how many national papers will put Gordon front on on in on Sunday? Not that there are that many Sunday papers anymore, but how many when it would have been Rachel Blackmore, Rachel Blackmore, Rachel Blackmore? How many of them will put Gordon there if he wins it? It'll be interesting. She's back on Manila Times. Yeah, it's just been out of form and obviously top weight. Um, Rachel's had a had an amazing sort of uh, 13 months um, anything after that is a bonus but um, so you think it's too much I, I, I couldn't couldn't see him win it he's been form has been poor since um, but the flat is back as well and the flat is you know, great narratives on the flat already um, John is flying it um, you know the, the the classic trials have been very good um, great summer ahead uh, Sam Crow average 40 price but there is an outlier price of 80 to 1 on Sam Crow yeah I, I'd jeez I'd, I'd love it if Sam Crow I've a soft spot for the horse but I'd love it if he won the national uh, for many reasons I don't really see it myself I think stamina will be an issue for him but um, it's a tough race it's not the race it was they've changed it um, to make it safer which I think they've done the right thing it's become a classier race the fences are easier easier to jump um, I, I'd probably prefer a horse that's going to be handy and staying out of trouble um, and I hope Longhouse Poet uh, ticks those boxes for Martin Brassel alright Johnny enjoy thanks sir good stuff uh, Friday Night Racing and Off the Ball is of course brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland love every racing moment visit hri.ie we stream live every Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock across all of OTB social channels so you can get us on Facebook on YouTube and on Twitter and then every Friday evening from 8 o'clock we're live on Off the Ball on News Talk. we'll see you next week Friday Night Racing on Off the Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie.